Well, hi there, and welcome to Renewal Church Online. If you logged on hoping to find a video, you're probably a bit surprised on why you logged on to our YouTube channel or onto our website, and you're finding an only audio file, and you're like, well, where's Matthew? Um, well, it was just a crazy week, and so let me tell you about it briefly on why this is just audio and why it's not a video. Um, I met at Andy and Nathan Parr's house, awesome members of our church, and Jim Wells was there with the camera. We we're about to record, and there were things happening in the house, and so we're in the backyard. It's beautiful, and we start recording the sermon, and then it starts to just pour down rain, and it was raining all oh, so hard. I could hear myself speak. It was crazy, and and then all of a sudden, you have this thunder, and then like four different times, you have all these vehicles, emergency vehicles, like police and ambulance are driving by, and I'm looking at Jim in the middle of this sermon recording, and it's just kind of laughing at, okay, this is where we're at. We're in the middle of this pandemic, and we're trying to just create a video to feed God's people from the Word, and it just wasn't working, but we worked through it. We're just trusting God, finish the video, and our friend Paul, who's our media guy, who puts everything together for us, for our sermons and our website and social media, um, we we send him our SD card with the sermon, and uh, he was actually in Georgia, where there had all kinds of tornadoes and thunderstorms, and, and our package got delayed, and we missed the window, and so... It's now Saturday evening, and we don't have a video to even put online. And so this video that we made that was probably full of really <laughs> humorous uh, moments in it, we're not even able to use it. And so here we are, and by God's grace, I'm able to make this recording and still share God's word with His people and so I know you can't see me, but I know that we're one in spirit. And I'm just thankful that we're able to still be together and hear God's word. And yes, in the middle of a just crazy season, his spirit is here and he is with us. And he wants to feed us today from his word. So let's jump into Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be wrapping up our series, Free at Last, today. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So as we begin here today, I wanted to ask you a question. What does your soul yearn to be free from? From addiction or shame, sorrow, regret, resentment, doubts, worry, fear? anxiety. I'm sure there's something that you just long to be set free from. But I'll ask a different question as well on well, what do you wish you were free to do? Maybe you felt like, like you were just free, like you wish you were just free to just follow your dreams. Or maybe you wish you were free to feel alive and not just numb on the inside or Maybe you felt you, were, you wish you were just free to be able to live your life with a real sense of purpose and joy and not just be in survival mode or just surviving this rat race called life. Maybe you wish you were free to really follow Jesus 
with this like audacious faith and with this boldness or without being in any way inhibited. So I don't know what it is today that you yearn for your soul to be free from or what you wish you were free to do. But in order for us to understand this reality of being enslaved in this world, you need to know that we were all born into a supernatural war. There is a dark power in this world that is being led by an evil spirit. And he holds the power of disease and death and sin. And this universe is at war. And Satan's kingdom of darkness is opposed to God's kingdom of light. And we know this is true. And deep in your soul, surely you know that you are opposed I'm sure you see it, that, that your love for God and your love for others is opposed. Surely you see that your hopes, your dreams, your friendships, even your very joy, it's, it's being opposed. That we live right now in a world that is basically enemy-occupied territory. And this world was made by Jesus and for Jesus for a display of his glory. And yet currently, Satan is ruling and we see evidence all around us. And this whole COVID-19 is just one more example of how Satan is at work and wanting to destroy and disease and, and to kill and to enslave and keep people captured by fear. And yet Jesus came to set us free. The gospel is nothing less than a rescue mission. Jesus, as we speak this moment, he is at work in releasing captives from darkness and bringing people into his kingdom of light where we can experience real purpose and joy and freedom. And we do it in the presence of the king. And so we are free at last. You and I were made for God's kingdom. And you have a role to play in this cosmic war against evil. And today, as you wrap up our study in Galatians, we're going to be considering how we are set free to work in God's kingdom. This whole book of Galatians shows how the gospel brings us freedom. And the reason why is that the gospel brings us to God himself. And Galatians 6, we'll be looking at today, shows us how this gospel sets us free to fulfill our purpose in the kingdom of God. And so we're going to be looking at four truths about the gospel and how it sets us free to work in the kingdom of Jesus. First, number one, we see that we have a gospel invitation. The gospel really is the great invitation. Jesus invites us to find life in him through his spirit. Let's begin by reading in Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap 
eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So here in verse 8, we see the main points of this paragraph. It says, from the Spirit reap eternal life. So here's the invitation that Jesus gives to us through this gospel. He is offering us real life, eternal life through His Spirit. So God is not offering us a counterfeit or an empty life. Here's a calling. So this this invitation, also think of it as the calling. And so Jesus is calling us and saying, come and find an eternally satisfied life in God. And so we have a gospel invitation. Now, we can also think of this as being set free by Jesus and also receiving life in the Spirit. It's the same reality. So, the gospel invitation is being set free by Jesus, which is receiving life in the Spirit. All the same beautiful, mysterious reality. The question for us, though, is, what does it look like? So, we have this invitation, but what does it look like? Well, verse 6 says, the one who is taught. So, the Spirit creates in those who have received this invitation, have responded to this calling, and we have reaped life in the Spirit. And it says, the one who is taught. So, God's Spirit creates in us hearts that want to learn. It's so easy for us to have hearts that are not teachable, where we are defensive or insecure and we don't want to receive truth and and we resist when anyone wants to help us by being constructive in their admonishment or in their criticism, but not a, a biting criticism, but a helpful, encouraging or correcting criticism. It's just being taught. Those who know Jesus should have a heart that desires to learn. This is actually kind of hard for those of us raised in the church. If you've been a believer for a long time, then you know that you've heard all the Bible stories. Every major text in the New Testament, you've definitely heard sermons on them. And so you can approach any given Sunday morning or any Bible study or any teaching with a, oh, I already know what this text says because I've studied it before or I've taught it before. And so what happens is we become like, I don't know, I'll call it, we become like connoisseurs of preaching. So it's kind of like if you go to a wine testing event or wine tasting. And so then you're given this wine glass and they pour in and, and you sip it and you're just swirling the wine, in this case, the word in your mouth. And you're kind of like, you're tasting it saying, hmm, I detect a hint of there's some reformed theology in this sermon. And hmm. Oh, I, I detect a little bit of uh, some, that's some John Piper influence in here. And uh, oh, 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 I definitely taste a hint of some missional 
teaching in this sermon. And, and so we, we begin to just try to taste the sermon and we become connoisseurs. And we're trying to, in a lot of ways, I think, see if we agree with what the preacher is saying, not to see if, if it's true or if we can learn from it. And we're not approaching the word to encounter God or to learn more about who he is, but instead we're simply approaching the word as a judge to see if the person preaching agrees with our theological position. And it's not about learning at all. It's just seeing if that person preaching is getting it right from your perspective. And yet a believer is called to learn. And so when you approach a sermon Do you desire to learn? Do you desire to actually be conformed to the image of Christ and hear a word from the Lord and encounter the living God? Or do you approach sermons and teaching simply to see if the person is scratching a particular theological itch that you have? The one who is taught. This is a teachable, humble, receiving spirit where you want to learn. So what does it look like to have received this invitation, to answer this call, to have reaped life in this spirit and set free? Well, one, it looks like a steadfast student, someone who is steadfast, who wants to learn and is faithful in their learning. So you become a steadfast student. And then it says, so the one who was taught, it says, share all good things to the one who teaches. So if you've ever taught or preached, then you know that it's effort. It takes time to read the word and to study it and to think and to process and and to prepare to feed God's people is not an easy thing. And it's not done quickly and should not be taken lightly. It's a privilege, but it's a labor of love. And this text here in verse 6 is telling us that we ought to financially contribute to support pastoral leadership that is teaching the word, that is leading through the word. Share all good things of your finances is what he's referring to with the one who teaches. And so the Spirit creates in believers a spirit of generosity where we are trusting God and where we love him, and we are thankful for his provision, and out of the overflow of worshiping God, we give. Because giving is indeed an act of worship. And it's a way to be active in the kingdom, is to give towards the kingdom. And so the Spirit creates not only steadfast students, but also produces generous givers. And so even in this pandemic, when the church is not gathering on Sundays, at least not together, we kind of gather like virtually, but you can still give. You can still go to the website and you can still give. There's still ways to be engaged in this. And so I would just ask you to ask yourself, am I a generous giver? Verse 9 then says, let us not grow weary of doing good. And then verse 10 says, let us do good to everyone. 
So we're, we're seeing the Spirit then creates hearts that are so satisfied in God's love that we actually overflow in the meeting of the needs of others. And so it says doing good in verse 9. In verse 10, specifically, it says doing good to everyone. And so which is the reason why we have home groups that are organized to be missional communities where the idea is that we would be on mission, meeting needs and sharing the good news and intentionally reaching every neighborhood in this whole county for Jesus so that we can be active in the kingdom. Doing good to everyone is an expression of kingdom work. So the Spirit creates sacrificial servants. And it says in verse 10, specifically, the emphasis is do especially good to those who are of the household of faith. There's a reason why I love to use the phrase, our faith family. It comes from this verse right here, where we're described as the household of faith, the family of faith. This is God's family. And so we are a faith family. Renew a church isn't like a family. We don't pretend to be a family. We actually are a faith family. And so we meet needs. And I have loved just seeing how we have seen needs being met through this pandemic. And I pray that we will continue to see more and more of our needs being met in our faith family because we are sacrificial servants. And so working in the kingdom is lived out by loving your church. We're part of a faith family where we open our hearts to each other. We deeply love one another and we are intentional, it says, to do good. And this is how we display God's glory to a watching world that is desperate for something real. It's us working in the kingdom. And so what what does it look like for those who reap eternal life from the Spirit? Well, we are steadfast students and generous givers and sacrificial servants. Verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What that means is that he cannot be taken lightly. He can't be ignored. This means that God is sovereign. He's a king and he's on his throne. And he's working in his kingdom to spread his glory with more people that will enter in. And he, being the king, being the sovereign, he has established how this world works. And he's established that it works with this law of sowing and reaping, of planting and harvesting. He says, you will reap what you sow. So if you plant orange seeds, you will get an orange tree every single time. You will not get lemon trees. You will not get another kind of fruit. You will only get the kind of fruit based upon the seeds that you plant. It also means that if you plant very sparingly or if you have a, say it this way, a very poor sowing, so poor planting, you're going to have a poor harvest, very poor reaping. You will always gather what you plant. This is even true in our bodies. Um, It's so funny. I've heard this new term called a quarantine belly, where people that are 
not active and they're stuck at home and they're quarantined and, and they're eating a lot of junk food or snacks and that kind of thing. And so they're getting this quarantine belly. And well, hey, if you're going to be unhealthy, if you're going to eat food that's not good for you, and if you're going to just sit around, inevitably, if that's what you're planting, if you will, in your body, you're going to reap an unhealthy body. And it's no way around it. You cannot be healthy unless you do those things that put you in that position to actually be healthy. And that is also true of us spiritually. And that is why you see here in verse 8, that's why it says, For those who, um, I'm sorry, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so this planting is basically a metaphor for how you live your life with the kind of intentionality that you live with. So you have the freedom to live for every fleeting pleasure that this world has to offer. You can live for money, for your career, for your status, for pornography, for unfair, anything, you name it. And you can go to all of the different idols ultimately, counterfeits, but all of these realities in this world that that you can turn to is described here as the flesh. And you can go to all of these things and look for freedom, but instead you will only find slavery. You can go to these things and look for life, but you'll only find death. The text says you'll only find corruption. Or... It says you can sow to the Spirit. That's a metaphor for living your life in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, experiencing a deep communion with God, enjoying His presence and having a deep sense of peace in your soul, in His presence, in a soul that is satisfied, and you will reap life. So you can live in the flesh, and that will be a harvest of death. Or you can live in the Spirit, and that is a harvest of life. And Jesus describes the same reality in Mark chapter 8, verse 35. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. This is the great invitation. Jesus is inviting you to give up your life based upon your own agenda. He's inviting you to give up finding happiness your own way. He's saying give up your self-made identity and give up your striving to make sense of life in your own strength and give up and hoping for the things of this world to just happen to be the way that you want them to be. He's like, give up with medicating yourself with substances or with mind-numbing TV or mind-numbing social media. He's saying, give all of it up. Give up your life on your agenda for your own self-centered pleasures Give it all up. He says, he who will lose his life will save it. You give it all up. 
and you find Jesus. You find life. Real joy. Jesus sets us free to work in his kingdom by becoming worshipers who are learners and givers and servants. All for his glory, to the power of his spirit. And then verse 9 again reminds us, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So where does the strength come from to not grow weary of doing good? Um, this has been such a challenging season. I was just talking to Bonnie about this even just today. And, oh, man, like she was just saying, I feel like we've like hit a wall. And, and I've talked to different people and so has she. And it seems like this is kind of a consensus. Maybe you agree, you know, this several weeks in now to this quarantine and working from home. And it's just the, the craziness that this has been. And maybe you just find your soul, maybe you're just tired. Maybe you're just like, you're just over it. Like you're just done with this whole season and you're just ready for it to just be over and you're tired and you're, you're just, you're just empty. You're, you're just done. Well, I have two thoughts as I've been pondering it this week on, on this text on do not grow weary. Well, one, it says, for in due season. That refers to God's season, not my season, not your season. It says that God's timing is pretty much never our timing. (laughs) God, however, his timing is perfect, and God is there in your waiting. He's at work. And so rather than think I'm done what we can do is we can just cry out to him and be real with our God and with others be honest about where we're at and but just come depend on him just cast ourselves upon his mercy and walking in his spirit and and find strength that is just supernatural but it's God's season not my season or your season it's in his timing And he's working this. There is purpose in this season. And then it says, we will reap if we do not give up. Man, that's awesome. Do not give up. You know, I'll I'll give you an example here. Maybe, have you ever tried to eat healthy? I mean, like for real, you're like, okay, I'm going to like give up sugar or say, well, maybe I just kind of cut back on some sugar or whatever, but like you're trying to eat healthy and then all of a sudden you go to someone's house or a home group and they've got like a bag of donuts there and you're like, oh, now what happens if if you went there and you were kind of hungry, like you just didn't really eat very well and so trying to be healthy, but you're hungry and all of a sudden you see these donuts. At that point, you're like, man, I'm giving up on keto and on paleo and Whole30. I'm just done. And you just eat the donuts. Well, that's because you were hungry, and so then you were tempted, and you you gave up. You gave up on the eating healthy. And I think, I think it's the same way with us spiritually, because when we're when we're hungry, then we're tempted with the junk. And just think about that emotionally and spiritually, just for a second. When are you most tempted 
to look at pornography? When, when are you most tempted to just try and just go eat something that you know is not healthy for you, that you don't really need, you're not even that hungry? Well, we tend to make the unwise choices when we're bored or when we're emotionally down. I'll say it this way, when your soul is hungry. When your soul is famished, you will crave junk. And so just like the solution, physically speaking, is you need to eat and be healthy. And then the unhealthy, the junk, just won't be as appealing. It won't have the same kind of grasp on you. It's the same spiritually. If your heart is filled, if your soul is satisfied in Jesus, in his spirit, his presence, if you're full, then you're not going to crave the junk. And I think in this particular coronavirus pandemic, it's really important for us to think through this because this is a emotionally draining, very difficult season for all of us. Our kids are cooped up. There's no privacy at home. There's financial struggles. There's all kinds of fear. There's fear of the unknown. There's fear of getting sick. There's, there's fear that your kids will never go back to school. There's fear that our stock market will never fully rebound. There's fear that our country is going to be different. There's fear that our church is, is going to get derailed or fear that once all this is over and we see people that it's going to be weird and awkward to like greet people again. Whatever it is, whatever you're facing, the financial, the emotional, the all the fears, the anxiety that we're all going through, man, it can be paralyzing. And it can cause us to panic or to want to just give up. The text says, do not give up. But it says, so to the Spirit, focus on the Spirit, and you will not grow weary of doing good. For in due season you will reap if you do not give up. And so are you just giving up? Like, how are you really coping with COVID-19? Are, are you trying to like eat your way through it? Are you trying to just binge watch Netflix through it? Look, hey, Netflix isn't bad. Like, I've watched Tiger King. I'm with you. I, it's not wrong to watch some Netflix, but to what extent? And what is it that's giving you hope? And what is, what is allowing you to go to bed at night? And not be depressed and wake up the next morning excited to face the day, even with its challenges. What is it? What is it that is helping you and sustaining you so that you don't give up and doing good? I'm going to be transparent for a moment. Um, I have personally felt myself here recently, like my soul, how do I describe this? Like revolting, like rebelling against this whole season just frustrated with the social distancing and not being able to just walk into HEB and you get in line and you have to wait and sit on, stand on your red box with eight feet apart from the next person and wait until you can finally get in the store. And I just, this whole thing, 
has been frustrating to me and I found my soul just rebelling against it. And I've had to come full circle and say, you know what, God, you are here and you have a purpose in this. And I'm going to submit and I'm going to find joy in you. And I will sow to the spirit and I will not grow weary of doing good. Because if I continue to look to the Spirit and trust in Jesus and know that God is on his throne, then I will not give up. There is purpose in this, and so don't you dare give up. There is fruit to be experienced. There are people to be reached and God's glory to be displayed. If we will receive this great invitation, this invitation where Jesus has come, find life, give everything else up, and you will find me. So the gospel is a great invitation to work in the kingdom. Number two, the gospel is the great motivation. So we have a gospel motivation. Verse 11 through 14. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh." But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So what motivates you to follow Jesus and work in his kingdom? These verses serve as kind of a heart check. So verse 11, Paul describes how he's essentially taking the pen out of the scribe's hand and saying, I'm going to write this part myself versus dictating it. And he says, look, I'm using big letters. This is huge. I'm writing big. Don't miss it. What I'm going to say has large significance. And then verse 12, he describes how there's this group of false teachers that had come in and that we're pushing circumcision, pushing people to be circumcised and have this religious ritual in order to be saved. And he says that they, that they were doing that only because they wanted to make a good showing in the flesh. So what does it mean to make a good showing in the flesh? Well, like literally it means to put a good face on their accomplishment. They wanted to keep up the religious facade and just make a good face. Just put on the appearance. These religious leaders didn't want to preach the true gospel. Didn't want to preach the cross of Christ. Why? Well, for the same reason the churches today have sought preaching the gospel. Because they want to just put on a good face. Because the gospel is offensive. The gospel strips us of any boasting. We contribute nothing to our standing with God. This message at the cross, it says here, that it leads to persecution. And they didn't want to be persecuted. And so our nature, because of our sinfulness, we want to make a good showing. We don't want to have our efforts or our identity stripped away. See, these false teachers, they were saying that these religious rituals, so circumcision, 
made people acceptable to God. It was in their own efforts. It was for their own glory. It was just for status and for show. It was empty religion. It was nominal Christianity. Just there to make a good showing. But verse 13 shows how the hypocrisy just doesn't work. It says even these religious leaders could not keep the law because none of us can keep the law. The whole point of the law is to show us that we need Jesus. He alone could fulfill the law. And so it drives us to trust him in his work on the cross where he obeyed fully and paid for our debt. And verse 14 is a beautiful picture of the gospel. It says, But far be it for me to boast in, except in the cross of Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So what does this mean, the death of Jesus and somehow being counted as our death? This is describing how when Jesus died on the cross in a spiritual but a very real way, we experience death with Jesus. So we've had real death in Jesus, with Jesus, and we have now real life in Jesus and with Jesus. So what does it mean, it says, for the world has been crucified to me? Well, this means that you are literally dead to the power of the world has been crucified. The world has no power over you. You are set free. Satan has no claim on you. The debt is paid. It is finished. Satan has no authority, no power. Yes, this world, yes, Satan will claw at you and he'll try to get you down and he'll try to convince you that you're no good and God can't love you and God can't use you and you've messed up too bad. Absolutely, Satan will continue to attack you. He'll try to depress you. He will lie to you and he will try to convince you that God has forgotten about you or God is not able to liberate you. And yet, our enemy has no power over you. You have been crucified. The world has crucified to you. Galatians 2.20, same book earlier in this book, captures this beautifully. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, so in your body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ is alive in me. Yes, I did die, but now I have been resurrected and I live So what motivates you to work in the kingdom? Well, you see, these religious leaders were were motivated by the approval of others, by status and by putting on a good face, by having people see you and think, oh, you're so sincere. Oh, you love Jesus so much. or "You're, You're such a faithful servant. And if you are serving and working in the kingdom so that others will notice you or think highly of you, then you're being more like the religious leaders than you are like Jesus is calling us to be. If you're motivated by religious duty, then that's empty. That's just slavery to religion. 
Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the prize. Jesus is our motivation. It's all about Him, Jesus Himself. And so we have a gospel invitation to give our lives for Jesus. And then second, we have a gospel motivation, which is Jesus Himself. Number three, third truth, we have a gospel regeneration. Chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So this is a really important verse that captures the whole theme of Galatians. Your religious efforts cannot save you. Your moral efforts cannot save you. It says circumcision counts for nothing. So that represents our moral achievements or our performances. It accounts for nothing. There is nothing that we can do morally, religiously that can earn any favor from God. But it also says that uncircumcision counts for nothing. So just like our moral failings and our struggles and our hard seasons also do not change our standing with God. If you belong to God, He already approves of you. He loves you. Jesus already died for you. And so neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, he says, but only a new creation, only regeneration, receiving a new heart, being born again of the Spirit, being made new, being a new creation counts. Nothing else matters What only matters is Jesus' work on the cross and the result of our faith is that we are made new. Our church's name, Renewal, is all about this. People being made new in Jesus, who then grow in Jesus and are then released into the world for Jesus. It's all about Jesus and his work through his spirit of regeneration. We don't boast about our law-keeping efforts We don't boast about how good we are. We simply boast in Jesus, his goodness, his mercy, his power. And not if, but when we fail, we don't stay in that pit. We don't. We don't stay in that pit of shame and despair and guilt because we are made new. We've been regenerated. We're a new creation. So we get up and we follow Jesus and he holds us and he gives us the strength to keep going, to keep being set free to work in the kingdom of Jesus, not in our strength, but through his strength because of this gospel regeneration. We have the ability and the power to fulfill our purpose. We depend on him. So we have this great invitation, this great motivation, and this incredible regeneration. Number four, lastly, we have a gospel conclusion. Let's finish Galatians, last few verses, 16 through 18. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let us let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. He says, for all who walk in this rule. Well, what is this rule? Basically, the whole book of Galatians, what he's talking about. Those who have been set free by Jesus. 
those who are living in line with the gospel, those who are walking in and with the Spirit, those who have a yearning to display God's glory by working in His kingdom, we experience peace and mercy. He's talking about being set free. This walking in this rule is walking in the Spirit and walking in freedom. And what we get is so beautiful. It says peace and mercy. And yes, here Paul describes that there's marks of Jesus. Now for Paul, those were actual literal scars, marks. Maybe you don't have literal scars for following Jesus, but I'm sure you've had emotional scars and challenges. There's a price to pay. It says, but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with your spirit. You are not alone. God is with you right here and right now, even in the hard times. He has a purpose for you, no matter the pain. The conclusion of the gospel will be worth it. We will be with Jesus resurrected, wearing those white robes of purity and of holiness, gathered with a multitude that no one can number, praising the Lamb who was slain. We have a taste of that right here, right now, through His Spirit in the fellowship of the Israel of God, the people of God. So Galatians 6 is like the whole book. It's all about the gospel. And this gospel is a great invitation. It is the most compelling motivation. It is the power of God in regeneration and has the most glorious conclusion. We are invited to treasure Jesus with our whole heart. May we be motivated by the glory of Jesus. And since we have been regenerated by his spirit, May we faithfully work in his kingdom to spread his renewal for the ultimate goal, the conclusion of God's plan of redemption. Worshippers bowed before him forever. This is the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. It's why we exist. It's why Renewal Church exists. God has a purpose for us. And nothing can derail his purpose. Not even COVID-19 can derail the purposes of God. For his is a kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.